Uh, our objective is to make the highest performing product in this category. Um, in the end, it's the end user that's going to judge that. And so we feel pretty honored. You know, some of the folks that use our stuff, whether they're known people in the industry or whether they're private uh, or whether the people who are uh, professionals that, you know, aren't people who talk about using our stuff or that we can't really talk about them using our stuff. You know, we feel pretty honored to be able to provide products for the, the diversity of folks that use our stuff. Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast, where we give you tips and tricks each week to become harder to kill. My name is Luke. I am your host and an instructor with Greenops, joined today by Jeff Mao. Uh, is that my pronouncing that correctly? That is correct. Okay, from the CEO and owner of Tenacore, they do concealment holsters, outside the waistband holsters. They also have a new belt. Um, but first, uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about the industry, but also uh, just two-way stuff and you know CCW type stuff. But first, make sure you like, subscribe, share, send this podcast to a friend of uh, yours if you think they would get anything out of out of it. Our marketing budget for the podcast rhymes with hero, so everything you guys could do to kind of push the podcast forward and help it grow that would help us out a great bit. So, Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. This is fun. Uh, a good friend of mine, Simon, introduced me to Mike many years ago, um, and that was my original connection to Green Ops. So it's fun to be here on the podcast, and it's fun to see Green Ops grow and add additional instructors and uh, reach you know a bunch of folks out there in the in the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just talk. Um, I know we had kind of talked just a couple minutes ago before we even went live that we, we may not stay just specifically Tenacore, but let's talk Tenacore in general. Um, I, I mean, so I'll let you, you're probably the best pitch man for your own things, but I absolutely love all of your gear. I'm using your belts, I'm using your holsters, things like that. But how did Tenacore kind of start and then how did it get to where it is today? Yeah. Uh, so I became a police officer back in like 2004, around that same time I started seeking out training and that was really kind of before the training industry kind of was a thing. Um, I started with a company called insights training center up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they would do a bunch of traveling and whatnot. I started taking classes with them as I became a police officer and progressed in my career. I started teaching with them as well. Uh, and I, you know, I just believed in carrying a gun was important to me, it was important to have, uh, that life-saving tool for me, not only as a professional, as a police officer, but I felt like as a private citizen, you know, I should have this gun with me and carry it with me all the time. It should be part of my life. Uh, and there weren't, there weren't really products that I felt integrated into my life, how I wanted them to integrate, uh, things didn't conceal as well as I wanted them to conceal. Um, and then when it came to actual training, and pressure testing your equipment, those, most of the products didn't really hold up. And so that was kind of, I guess, the original genesis of Tenacore. I didn't find things that worked for me. Um, so probably back in 2007, 2008 is when I first started playing with making products. Uh, you know, I was always the guy who had like on my SWAT gear, on my patrol gear, I had a variety of things that were products that I made that I either bought someone else's thing and I tweaked it to make it work how I wanted it to work. Or it was just something that I made, whether it was a pouch or, or some modification, something like that. So, uh, yeah, so I kept working on designs of different products. I had some folks that were like, hey, can you make something for me? I said, sure. 
for the most part, I thought the idea of some garage holster maker wasn't a viable business. And so I kind of never jumped on that bandwagon for a long time. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to move on from my career in law enforcement and look at doing something else. And so I tried to figure out, you know, I knew from the beginning, I didn't want to be a custom shop. Uh, I knew we wanted to be a production shop. So I tried to figure out, you know, what does it look like to manufacture something? What does it look like to design something? What does a production process look like? And so kind of set off to do that. And so in 2017, we launched the website and started selling products. Uh, you know, and just like anything, you think it's going to go really well and it doesn't in the beginning and it just, it takes time and patience and hard work. Uh, and now, you know, we definitely, we're not the biggest company out there, but it seems like we have a pretty loyal following. People appreciate our product. Uh, our objective is to make the highest performing product in this category. Um, in the end, it's the end user that's going to judge that. And so we feel pretty honored, you know, some of the folks that use our stuff, whether they're known people in the industry or whether they're private uh, or whether the people who are um, professionals that, you know, aren't people who talk about using our stuff or that we can't really talk about them using our stuff. You know, we feel pretty honored to be able to provide product for the, the diversity of folks that use our stuff. Absolutely. And so you talk about like, you're not the biggest company or whatever, but the product kind of speaks for itself. If you, I know myself, I, I, I might've been on like the Velo or Velo 2 I think because okay. you might be yep. on like four now, I believe. Yeah, we're on the fourth version of the Velo. Yeah. Yeah. So I was either the Velo one or two was my first okay. holster. And then that just yep. kind of got me started where it was like, all right, now the bag of holsters that everybody has over in their garage, mine yep. is quick growing, you know, because yep. I, I found that's what good. I what works <laughs> and, and we're just going to stay with that. So that's that's awesome. So you're no longer in law enforcement. Correct. Yep. 2018, uh, I left law enforcement. And so now I do this full time now. Yep. Okay. Awesome. And then you guys just developed a concealed carry belt. And then I believe mm -hmm. you've kind of got the one now with the uh, Velcro where you can put it underneath of like a big duty belt or something like that. How did that all come about? Yeah. I and mean, kind of the same thing belts. I started sewing, you know, I got myself a sewing machine and started sewing belts 2009, 2010. And I wasn't the big, there are two challenges with belts. One is uh, for, is how stiff they are. So they need to be stiff enough to support the gear. But I felt like most gun belts that were stiff, they were designed really for outside the waistband carry and for carrying, you know, your outside the waistband holster, two mag pouches, handcuffs, a flashlight, like all the things. Uh, and a inside the waistband, particularly appendix carry belt, didn't require that same uh, structure and rigidity. And then the other issue is what do you do with a tail? And so most Leather belts, obviously, you just have a regular buckle and clasp and, a, and holes in the belt, and then the tail kind of hangs off to the side. And then most uh, nylon belts are Velcro, right? It goes in through some sort of slide locking buckle, and it folds back on itself, and you, uh, you Velcro it down. And so none of those things I felt were very elegant solutions. Uh, and so we, you know, over the years, we pray, played with a lot of different things, and we came up with I got a zero belt here is basically our own proprietary buckle design. And so something's pretty small, pretty low profile. Um, and then with the tail, you just take it in here, you come from the outside in and then just the tension of that locks it all down. Uh, and so, and then we made it to be kind of what I call, you know, most gun belts are two and a half, are double thickness belts. Um, I call it the zero belt kind of a one and a half thickness belt. 
So it works really well for like a Glock 19 size gun and smaller. Uh, things that are bigger, they might take a little more rigidity. And we're currently working on a, a heavier version of the Zero Belt that uh, for people who either are going to carry outside the waistband or, you know, they're the, like the staccato with an X300 kind of guy and they want some big, heavy uh, gun that they're carrying inside the waistband. So, sure. so, that, think, so yeah, we, we released that back in December. So I think the beauty behind that belt is the simplicity of it, you know, and it's almost like why, where has this been for so long? Because it's, it seems like everybody's been adding more and doing more and yeah. all you did was take everything away and it works perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so simple. It shouldn't work. Exactly right. Yeah. But sometimes that's the yep. easiest and that's the best, right? Yep. yep. So then we added the underbelt version. So the underbelt version just has like the um, loop Velcro on the outside so folks can wear it as an underbelt either under their duty belt so they can take their duty belt off and they have a concealment belt or like competitive shooters all, oftentimes, you know, they'll carry concealed to the competition and they want to be able to just throw their overbelt on either for training or competition or whatever. So. Uh, so that's been, both of those have sold really well. It's been received pretty well. You know, we want to do colors. We want to do kind of all the things that everybody wants. It's just making a high quality product and making it consistently and delivering it is harder than it should be. Uh, and so it's sometimes things just take time. Sure. Sure. So, um, you kind of mentioned before, do you, so you do, you still train, actively like you are still taking classes fairly regularly yep. um how, how often are you actually out there training because i'm seeing videos a lot on your social medias where it seems like you're out there an awful lot but sure as a CEO, I, mean, I would think you can't be out there every weekend <laughs> yeah no it comes and goes i mean well so i mean my dream job was well if you would have talked to me 10 years ago i would have said when i'm done being a cop i'm gonna be you know teaching that's, mm -hmm. that is my kind of my first passion and the thing that I really enjoy doing. Um, I kind of decided that wasn't the path I wanted to go down. I wanted to do something else. And I felt like product was a, probably a more strategic way to go. Sure. Uh, but then the teaching piece can be something we leverage for marketing. Uh, and so what I've tried to do is integrate all the things I enjoy into my job. So it doesn't have to be on the weekend. Uh, there, so there are times when we're out, you know, filming or doing some training on a weekly basis. There's other times, you know, we're doing it once or twice a month. So I'd say, um, I'm out there on the range training at least probably twice a month right now. Uh, and then sometimes much more frequently, depending on what we have going on. We, I'd say we have a goal of being out on the range for like a full day to a half day every week. That doesn't okay. usually doesn't happen because we got other stuff going on, but that's kind of our objective. So, and when you say that, that is, you providing the training or are you physically taking the training from some sort of outside? Uh, yeah, it could be either way. It could be either okay. way. So we'll, we'll travel and we'll go take classes and kind of our media marketing guys will usually tag along and then we'll do some filming for us and we'll do some filming for uh, the instructor usually. Uh, but it also might be me going out with some guys and doing some training on our own, or it might be me teaching a class. Okay. Uh, and so I've, I've, that is a thing that I really enjoy. I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy helping people be better. And so if that's, if that's providing them with a piece of equipment that solves a problem, that brings great satisfaction. If it involves like working through a physical skill and explaining it to them in such a way and having them do certain drills and skills in such a way that they're able to achieve a higher level of performance, I find great satisfaction in that. So I, you know, we try to do that. And I feel like that just strategically from a company perspective, there's value in that and trying to, you know, document that and then share that with the world and, 
you know, some people seem to appreciate it. So it's, um, it's funny you say that. I, I know the guys here at Green Ops kind of feel the same way. Like I got into training of others, not because I wanted to make money or do anything like that. I just really enjoy passing knowledge on to people. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it all the time amongst the crew. Like we would probably, I would do this for free. It's a perk that I also make a couple dollars on top. It kind of just feeds sure. the hobby, to be honest, because yep. everything's just going <laughs> back into the gun hobby. But um, yep. I mean, I would do it for free and having that passion, you know, you can, you can see it on like some of the clips that you put on Instagram and social media that like you've got the passion for helping people and it's pretty awesome. So uh, we had talked earlier um, and said, we kind of rolled it into like more current events. Obviously we're a few weeks off from uh, Eli Dickin out in Mm -hmm. uh, the mall shooting where he hit Fort eight out of 10 at 40 yards. Uh, there's still some details that are probably going to be trickling out and may never come out until mm-hmm. months on down the road. But after I'm sure you're up to date on all of that stuff, after reading, watching, hearing about that, have you changed anything in your training? Have you done anything different in the way you train yourself or what you're teaching some of your students? Uh, I wouldn't say that I've changed anything. Um, I guess I'd say that the there is a there's a in many circles particularly law enforcement circles there's an emphasis on statistics you know most gunfights happen under seven yards or five yards or whatever statistic they want to quote and then they go and they do all of your training at those distances uh and that may or may not be true um but i know but it's obviously it's a lot easier to shoot at a closer distance than it is farther away uh and i you know everybody i know who spends a lot of time at like 25 yards further on out, the close stuff isn't hard. The people who spend a bunch of time close in, the far stuff is really hard. Uh, And frankly, I think people do that because they're lazy. They want to practice the thing that is easy for them. They don't want to have to push themselves. And so if we spend all our time, I mean, there's even a trend now in the industry of people spending most of their time at three yards and five yards and almost contact distance. And they're not not contact distance uh, in, in the, like they're prepping for some sort of, entangled gunfight but almost contact distance and it's like a regular draw and shoot it's like how shoot as fast as you can um, and i just you know i don't necessarily see a ton of value in that um and so I mean, most of the people that i know that have been training for a long time or have been training and doing things operationally for a long time most of those people spend a bunch of time being very deliberate and very decisive um, and they spend a bunch of time at distance and so i think that it is just an anecdote, right? So we have one example. We don't necessarily want to change all of our perspective about training because one dude had one encounter. Uh, but if that's your anecdote and you've spent all your time at five yards and you don't have an answer at 40 yards, then that's a catastrophic failure. Um, whereas if you spent most, you know, half your time at 40 yards and then you went into five yards, that's no big deal. So it, it definitely is a perspective on training. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And we, and we've just kind of been talking about it. We've, that's something that we teach and, and we do in just about every single one of our pistol classes, whether it's like advanced application of pistol fundamentals, all the way up to like our defensive pistol two classes, we're we're shooting at distance. I mean, that, um, advanced applications class, we have students shooting out to a hundred. I think the last class we were 130, 140 yards, depending on what the range is capable of doing. Yep. And I I like to tell people, I don't, I don't think I'm ever in my entire life going to take a hundred yard pistol shot defensively, 
but it does make that 15 yard shot feel like a walk in the park. For sure. I, I think about it like driving, right? So you, the first time you drove a hundred miles an hour, like that was crazy. And for the first few seconds or minute, you thought, wow, I can't believe I'm going this fast. And then you settle into it and you're cruising along at a hundred miles an hour. It's no big deal. And then you slow down to like 65 or 70 and you feel like you're walking. And I think it's similar to shooting. So if I spend a bunch of time at 50, you know, if I, if I, maybe I'm trying to shoot like a hat qual or something at 25, if I push that out to 50 and tr practice the hat qual at 50, and then I push back into 25, it's really easy and it seems really easy. And so it is just like, if you're trying to go fast, push yourself beyond what you think your limit is. If you're trying to be accurate at distance, push yourself beyond what your limit is and then come back and you find it much easier. And the reality is, you know, particularly people who are shooting B8s at 25 yards, like that is a great standard and a great thing to train. Um, and certainly we want to get, you know, high center, high, you know, fist size group, high center chest is optimal. But getting rounds on target, you know, if you're talking about like a C zone or something at even 50 yards, even 25 yards, super easy, right? To actually do that if you have a reasonable level of skill. And so people should spend some time doing that and making sure you're getting shots on target at 50 yards and at 25 yards on like a nipstick silhouette, you know, shouldn't be too much of a challenge for most people. So you mentioned the hat qual. I'm assuming you're kind of talking about, um, so, so who, who are you talking about specifically in the hat qual? I'll let you go ahead and go there. No, sure. So the hat qual, uh, is, is Kyle the four. Uh, okay. he's one, you know, so, I mean, there's a bunch of people that use a variety of different drills with B eights at varying distances. Um, but I think Kyle is probably the one who has pushed the, you know, 10 rounds in a certain amount of time for, you know, for him, for now with red dot, 15 seconds from the holster, 10 rounds, 25 yards, 90 points or better. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that is, I think it's a really good standard that most, but most shooters can't do that. And most people who can, they, if, you know, if you can do that consistently, you're probably a pretty good shooter overall. You probably have the ability to do the you know, to, to perform under most circumstances, you can reliably draw your gun from the holster and get 90 points or better at 25 yards on a B8 in 15 seconds or less. So Tenacore is associated with Kyle DeFore, is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Okay. So how did, how did you guys get hooked up into being uh, with yeah, Kyle, Kyle with you? Yep. Um, so we had kind of connected with the folks at Discrete Carry Concept. Um, prior to that, uh, and uh, the guy at Discrete Carry Concepts had trained with Kyle a bunch, um, and he was just he had started he, he attended a class with him. Um, Kyle at that point didn't have a holster company he was working with, and kind of introduced us to him. And then Kyle and I just started talking, and we had a very similar perspective on equipment and on training and everything, and we kind of kind of gelled. So. Um, he appreciates our product and has been supporting us now for probably four or five years. So, yeah, he's, he's a great shooter, phenomenal guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always seeing stuff that he's putting out with Tenacore, um, backing it and that, that drill that used to be like, like you said, or maybe it still is. It's one of the, the major standards that, you know, mm -hmm. I like to go out cold every so often, 25 yards. Now the, now the deal is the Dickon drill, right? You do it at 40 yards yeah. and see what you can do. Yeah. But it used to be his hat qual, 25 yards uh, with a pistol. He has a rifle hat yeah. qual as well. But um, with a pistol, 25 yards, 15 seconds, 90 or better was the score that everybody was looking for. Um, yeah. 
and it's a it's a phenomenal drill and uh just like jeff was saying if you're struggling with speed go faster and like push the speed but if you're struggling with the accuracy portion start shooting it a little bit further and then once you come Mm -hmm. back to that 25 yard marker super easy right like a lot of it is psychological right so if you're used to spending all that time at uh, like most people their group does not open up proportionally as they go back right they start they hit that 12 15 yard range and it it opens up more than it should if you're used to shooting at that five seven ten yards uh and so it is and that is all just psychological so you are absolutely right you know spend some time at 25 spend some time at 35 40 50 and yeah and things will change for you it's it's funny after you spend a little time there and then you can so i could probably run a 92 or better almost on demand. I feel like, you know, I can Mm -hmm. have my bad days where I'll shoot like high eighties, but the hundred is now that psychological problem that I'm Mm -hmm. running into. Right. Shoot a 99 in front of a class the other day, like demoing. And it was so close, but I mean, it's not a (laughs) hundred and you're like, Oh man, it's a 99. So it's all the same though. Right. Maybe I just need to spend a little bit more time. Maybe I need to shoot some B8s at about 50. And, and then yeah. come back up and it'd just be that much easier just to go and put hundreds yeah. on top of each other. Um, Mark Smith, I believe, does pass as the hat qual at 50. Really? Uh, so, yeah, he's a guy that pushes things quite a bit and is quite impressive in his shooting. Uh, and he spent some time playing with that at 50 yards. So he, uh, JBS? Yep, JBS training. Yep. Okay, gotcha. Have you trained with him? Uh, I have. Yep. Okay. Yep, I've and, gotten to know Mark over the last year or so. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. He seems like a pretty cool dude, almost out of nowhere, if you will. Like he's, he's relatively new, I think to the training mm-hmm. world and, yep. um, he's just taking it by storm. He's, uh, he seems like a pretty cool dude. I'd love to be a, be able to take a class from him. I think he stays mostly like South and West. Uh, most of the time. Uh, he is, he's from South Carolina and so okay. he teaches in the Southeast, but he will travel and hit the road where whoever is willing to host him. So, I mean, I would definitely recommend him. I think he definitely understands um, performance. You know, his background is as you know, a guy that loves America, and then a guy who's a competitive shooter. He's a, I think he's a Grandmaster USPSA. Okay. Um, so he definitely understands performance, and yeah, I mean, well, he's also just a hoot. He's a fun guy to talk to and a fun guy to hang out with. So yeah, sure. I definitely recommend anyone uh, check out JBS training. So you said earlier that you kind of got into training back in 07 um, is when, is that when you started? Training, uh, the first time, you... Yeah. So the first time I probably took a, like my first paying money for someone to teach me how to shoot a gun uh, was probably 2002 ish, something like that. Okay. 2001, 2002. Um, and then around the same time I became a police officer around 2004 is when I started teaching and coaching classes for insights. So you've been doing it, doing the coaching. You've been receiving coaching for 20 years, coaching for 18, let's say. Um, What's changed in the industry that you've seen? I mean, you've, you've kind of done everything. You've, you've been in law enforcement, you've done the training thing. You're still actively doing that. And now you've got a company that's like developing gear uh, that stays in the industry. So What's changed over the last 20 years, if anything? 
Um, like on the one hand, everything, but on the other hand, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so like when it comes to actual performance and shooting, you know, I guess I'd argue this was mostly figured out in the late eighties, early nineties. There's a guy, J. Michael Plaxico that really wrote a book called shooting from within. Um, and he probably, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he probably wrote the book and like, it was published in like 91 or 92 on how to shoot. And you read the book, you're like, huh, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Uh, and so for the most part, this has actually been figured out. It's just, you know, I guess when I first started shooting, um, there was always the apologetic for why you sh don't, shouldn't shoot Weaver. And there was a big argument, like all the cops and whoever comes in, um, you're trying to get them to shoot a symmetrical stance. And now like nobody even talks, like people don't even know what Weaver is. You go in front of, you know, most of the people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You say Jeff Cooper and they're like, who is that? Um, and so that's certainly changed. Uh, the, the broadness, I mean, the people who are into guns and into shooting and into training, that has totally changed, right? There's so many, I mean, just exponentially grown, which is awesome because it's brought all kinds of energy and resources to the community, which I think is great. Um, you know, probably the average person when they show up to class is better than they were 20 years ago. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the internet. You know, there's people like you who are hosting a podcast talking about things and you're sharing information with the world for free. Um, there's people who are putting videos on YouTube or on Instagram or whatever, and people at least have something to model. Um, and so you, I mean, I've, I've probably in the last 10 years is when people would start showing up to class and it's like, wow, you're really good. Uh, have you done training before? And they're like, no, I just watched a bunch of YouTube videos and practice. And so that wasn't, you know, in 2002 and 2005, that wasn't a thing at all. Um, and so I think that's really cool. Uh, from an equipment standpoint, yeah, lots of change, uh, right? During, you know, global war on terror had a lot, a lot of funding and money came into the industry in the um, mid 2000s that developed lots of different products and things. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been, yeah. So on the one hand, nothing has changed because we're all trying to, we're really still doing something that is maybe five, 10% different than the people who are performing at a high level 15, 20, 30 years ago. But on the other hand, everything has changed because there's so many more people that are able, who are, have access to good information and are able to do something with it, which is great. Yeah. So the, I, I think you're, um, I've not been in the industry for, you know, 20 years. I've only been doing the training thing with green ops for about three. I've been shooting okay. for a little bit longer, but, um, yeah, it does seem like, maybe the base level has changed a little bit and you know, mm -hmm. the base level shooter is pretty squared away person, right? They, they kind of know what they're doing all the way up to somebody that is like really squared away and they have no training, but it does seem like now I, I know that the way that like politics and stuff are going, we're getting squared away people, but man, we're seeing just a ton of people first time, like uh first time buyers of firearms and things like that. Mm -hmm. They're doing it right. Obviously they're probably getting on the internet somehow looking up things they should and shouldn't do with a gun. Cause they've never owned one in their life. And one of the good things that they're finding on the internet is, Hey, you need to go find some reputable training, you know, mm -hmm. understand what you don't know. And so I feel like that is something over the last two years has definitely changed 
that we're seeing on our side. We're seeing a lot of like brand new shooters, never shot a gun in their life, but they've got enough internet experience, if you will, to kind of be savvy around it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So are you seeing the same thing? Like you're, you're actively performing training. So are you seeing like a lot of first time gun owners or not so much? Uh, All the training we do is like invite only. Um, we're not, we don't have like a website. We're not trying to make money off of training. Gotcha. Um, so that side of things, not, I mean, I don't have tons of exposure to that. Sure. I would say though, you know, in the last few years with COVID and everything, you know, there has been an explosion of people buying guns. There's way more gun owners than they were, than there were. And a lot of them were first time gun owners. Um, on the one hand you can say, well, there's just a whole bunch of people that don't know what they're doing, but there's going to be a certain percentage of them. that are going to put the time and energy into learning the craft and are going to take carrying a gun seriously. And I think there is the opportunity from a training and equipment perspective, particularly people who are doing things, who are catering to maybe a more discerning audience. Like there is a ton of room for growth still. So either, either for Tentacore on the product side or folks like you guys that are providing training, you know, it's just, just it's going to grow. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine in the industry about that. And he was making that point. He's like, there's tons of people out there that, uh, it is not a saturated market and those people are going to grow and mature over the next several years. And there's going to be more opportunity to provide product to folks and more opportunity to provide training. There's going to be more demand. And so you're going to see, I think you'll see companies like green ops, uh, grow and have more students and more opportunity over the next few years. And then, you know, there'll be good companies that, that are able to take some of that market share. Then there'll be a bunch of crummy companies that are just trying to take advantage of things. Uh, but in the end, that'll all sort of itself out. Sure. It'll all come out in the wash. So what is, um, cause we're kind of getting close to the end of this thing. So what is like the vision of Tentacore? Like from like right now, moving forward, what is your goal? I mean, you're always seems like you're innovating. Obviously you've got the new belt. I'm sure you're probably working on a ton of stuff behind the scenes. So what is kind of your vision for Tentacore moving forward? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, we, our objective, like I said before, was to make the highest performing products in their category. Uh, we would, in the beginning, we iterated a lot and we iterated fast. We've slowed down on, you know, the consumer would probably say we've slowed down. I would say we haven't slowed down. We've just been focusing on internal processes. So -hmm. instead of changing products, we've been changing internal processes. We've both on the design and development side but also on the manufacturing side. Um, and so we're trying to mature in those places. We, we kind of hit a critical mass where it's like, we're ch- we need to figure out really how to make stuff and really how to produce stuff and do that in an efficient way. Um, and we are kind of sitting on, like I would love to do an updated version of all the products, right? We have a Velo 4. I have ideas for what a Velo 5 should be. When is a Velo 5 going to come out? I don't know because I have internal process stuff that we're trying to change and alter. Um, yeah, so updating all the current products we have would be an objective we have over the next year or two, and we'll see how that actually plays out. Um, the belt thing has gone well for us, so I can see that expanding. I think, you know, pouches and accessories, not just for concealment, but maybe even expanding into like overt, like duty and on like a tactical belt, that might be a thing. And there's a lot of folks that do a really good job at with nylon, and there's not as many folks that are, are doing... Uh, the kind of work I would like to see with hard molded pouches, particularly, I think a, a key piece in that is the connection point of the pouch to the belt. 
And so trying to come up with a really intelligent way to integrate those two things, I think, is a space that we could potentially make some headway in. So so we'll see. One of the things we have, and I don't, I thought I brought one down with me, but we're working on a concealment AR-15 mag pouch. Um, so kind of in the same vein as our Faro with the Faro clip. Um, so hopefully we'll be releasing that in the next month or two. We'll see. Um, and so that's, that'll be a new thing for us. We've worked, we've had a design for AR-15 mag pouch for a while that we did for some government clients. Um, but just trying to integrate that into kind of a concealment thing that is maybe has more, more reach. Uh, just uh, again, I think particularly for pouches, even on the concealment side, the attachment is an afterthought. Like, let's take this thing that was designed for overt carry. Let's throw some cobbled together attachment and you have this thing that sits not very close to the body and doesn't conceal very well. And so trying to come up with some designs that do that. Um, and then, you know, just go, trying to double down and figure out the design and manufacturing piece. And then if we can do some of the things that we want to do, you know, who knows what, what, will, where, what direction, either up or down that we look to expand the product line and look to um, challenge different aspects of the industry. Yeah. Awesome. So your gear, I, I can't wait to see what you, uh, what you come up with in the future. I mean, I use all of your gear, your uh, abdo, I believe. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So let's do this before we go. <laughs> How the heck do you say all of the names of everything? Uh, so we've yeah. got the Velo. So, the Velo. Yeah. Yep. The Kertum. Okay. Well, uh, never, never was calling it that. Okay. <laughs> yep. The Velo with a V. Okay. Uh, the Kertum with a hard C. Mm -hmm. uh, the Arcs. A lot of people say ARX, but it's the ARCs. Okay. Uh, and then the Malisol, uh, and then the Sajax Lux, mm -hmm. um, the Abdo, and the Pharaoh. All right. And then you can put, yeah, we, it's, we've, we've been talking about kind of adjusting some of our names of products, and we might consolidate that a little bit over the next few months. Um, we've been working on a new website for a while, and so we may, once we get that wrapped up, we may roll out kind of a simplified version of the names. But but Velo, Kertum, and Arcs for sure are things that are going to stay and stick around. So I guess I'll just have to stay with spelling it. This is what I use, and I just spell it out instead of yeah. <laughs> having to say it. But Zero Belt, that's easy. That one I, yep. uh, I do have, I read at a third grade level, so I did yep. understand that one. So, yeah. uh, so how do people get a hold of you? Obviously, your website, tenacore.com, but yep, tenacore your social media, all that stuff. Yep, tenacore.com for um, seeing our products and for purchasing. Uh, we're probably most active on Instagram, so at Tenacore USA. Um, we also have Tenacore YouTube um, and Facebook. Uh, those are our main platforms and the main ways to interact with us. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate green ops and i appreciate you guys and all your support and thanks for having me on yeah absolutely so hey guys girls that are listening go check out tenacore i've said it three or four times and i'm not just saying it because jeff is on the podcast i use their stuff um a lot of the guys in green ops use tenacore product so go check them out however they say it the velo the cartoon or whatever it is right go check out their their gear their zero belts everything is phenomenal and I, you will not be let down if you do go with one of their items if you want to get some good firearms training check us 
out at green-ops.com. Our schedule is up there for all of 2022. We should be populating 2023 here in the next few months. So keep a lookout for that. We're in Texas, we're in Virginia, and we have guns and we'll travel so we can come to you. Lastly, if you are on Instagram and want to get a hold of me, I am Wreck It Luke there. Uh, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can reach out to me and I'd gladly reach out and uh, help you out with that. So with that, Jeff, thanks again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And everybody, check out Tentacore Holsters. They won't let you down. I promise you that. Mom, love you. Everybody else, we kind of like you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thanks again.